God is eternally faithful. Aren't you glad of that? If you are, say amen. He never uh, does fail us. It may seem like that at times. And your life may be marked by darkness right now. As you come into this place this morning, you might think, I'm swallowed up by grief, Pastor, or I'm swallowed up by hard, difficult times. Maybe you just lost a job. Maybe there's some circumstance in your life that it's just not going well. Maybe there's relationship that's broken or uh, that is just at odds and you're gathering here today, and uh, you can't say the Lord has not failed me yet, I promise you that uh, all of that work is not of the Lord's doing. Uh, that is part of uh, just being, uh, having sin natures and being part of the fallen world, and God is always working uh, for uh, the good of His church and for the glory uh, of His namesake, and so we are grateful to God that y'all are here today, and we want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 17. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is our rescuer. Jesus, our rescuer. How all of us need rescuing. Uh, none of us are uh, immune to uh, have needs in our lives and um, to be delivered sometimes from that idea that we are the rescuer, right? We, I take care of my husband or my husband takes care of me or we take care of our uh, parents or or we take care of our kids or we take care of our neighbors or if my employer didn't have me this would happen and sometimes unintentionally we can set ourselves up as the messiah of the story as the savior of the story and that's always dangerous ground I know that many people in the church don't do that intentionally. We don't just set up our minds to say, hey, I'm the rescuer, I'm the hero of this story. Uh, sometimes churches have a tendency to look at pastors or staff that way. Or pastors will have the tendency to look at greener pastors and say, boy, if I could only pastor that church, man, my, my church would really be growing. Look at, look at those people. Or sometimes a church can say, man, if we only had that guy or if we only had that staff or if we only had that musician or if we had this going on man that could be a real game changer for us but the truth of the matter is there's only one rescuer there's only one savior and his name is Jesus if you believe that say amen and uh, there is one king and his name is Jesus a matter of fact when we come to Revelation 17 verse 14, there were a lot of places that I could have used and pulled a, a, uh, a passage from or a verse from, but really um, all of scripture speaks of Messiah as king. Whether it's prophesied about in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to Messiah and they're presenting Messiah as one who is going to be a prophet and a priest and a king. He was going to declare the word of the Lord. He was going to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And then he was going to rule his people. We see that throughout the history of the Israelites and the Hebrew people. And then when we come to the New Testament, we see that when Jesus was born, we see that when he was born, there was the announcement that the king had come. The king had been born. When he died on a cross, they ascribed a saying, here's Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Little did they know and realize he's not only king of the Jews, but 
He's king of all that there is. And so when we come to Revelation 17, 14, this book that is filled with prophecy and a lot of hidden meaning and a lot of symbolism and things that we, we don't have time to necessarily dig into all of that today, but what's really, really important is for you to understand that um, the, the evil of the world is uh, culminated. It's culminated into several nations and into uh, a religious order that has wooed and wowed the people. And the world is absolutely a mess at what point we are in Revelation 17, 14. As John penned this, the world was a mess that he was writing to and speaking to. As we read it today, I think you all would say our world is chaotic and it's a mess. And then as we think forward to how ruthless and how barbaric the world will become before Jesus establishes his kingdom here on earth, we will be able to get a glimpse of how awful that is. And uh, People are waging war. And we get to Revelation 17, 14. And in this one verse of scripture, it's speaking about how the harlot and the beast, this religious order, these evil countries are working in conjunction with the Antichrist. And it says in verse 14, they will make war on the Lamb. The Lamb is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with Him are called chosen and faithful. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. Jesus is our king. Even when you watch the news and you read the papers or you're reading your iPad or whatever you read, the computer, and you're reading the news, you don't have to read or look or listen very long to understand just that our world is marred by chaos. Internationally, you have Iran and North Korea and China and Russia all attempting to flex their muscles and lead the world to either communism or socialism or some form of dictatorship. And most people would agree that those forms of government are evil and, and those uh, people who are leading those nations have evil intent within their hearts. Nationally, our nation is broken and is divided almost on every front. We have a really a two-party political system that um, we can find little hope and encouragement in. They just war against each other. Um, we look around us, and personally, I've just been taken back by the brutality of our citizens people spewing hatred and evil through social media or through road rage or through gun violence or through mob beatings or through predatory sexual violence. My brother, who's a dean at a Catholic high school uh, there in Chicago, called me a few weeks ago and he was just down. He was bummed. It was a Thursday. I said, what's the matter with you, brother? 
It was around 2 o'clock, which is odd because he normally doesn't call me during school hours. And he said, I want you to pray. Now, if you've been with me for a long time, you know how odd that is for my brother to call and say, hey, I want you to pray about this. Uh, my brother's not a believer in the sense that we would say that we believe um, by God's grace, according to his grace, through faith we believe and we've turned from our sins and placed our faith in him. My brother's not quite there. And he said, uh, we had a little girl who was a freshman who got off the city bus today and she only had a block and a half to walk uh, to our school. It's a real busy place. And he said, a 21-year-old guy with a gun came up behind her and put the gun in her back and told her to follow him. He took her to an alley and he violated her. And because of uh, some of the age of our folks in our audience today, you understand what I'm talking about. He violated her. The young lady was in such shock and torment. She just sort of gathered herself together. She came to school. And she went through the school day. Her dad is a city policeman in the city of Chicago. She did not know what to do. He had taken her phone, so he, she couldn't text her dad right off. She was in shock. She didn't tell the school officials. She went through the day until about 1.30, and she just broke down in a class. The teachers took her to the counselors. They gathered together with the deans. They got a hold of her mom and dad. They came, and she told her mom and dad what had happened. I told Tracy that story, and it made my heart break. I just wept over that scenario. I prayed for her. I prayed for my brother. I prayed for those people at the school. I prayed for her mom and dad. And I just think it's just pure evil. The man who took his own life a few weeks ago in a cell because he had been caught, a billionaire, who had been caught leading other people to take advantage of uh, underage um, people. It's, it's tragic. And we're living in those times. Mob beatings in Minnesota right outside of stadiums and ballparks and ball fields. Young man in his 20s on his cell phone, surrounded by a mob. He gets up to leave. They take his phone. They start punching him and beating him ruthlessly. You can think of any injustice you want to think about this morning, and I would say to you that there is coming a day when all of those injustices will stop. Because all of the evil that is the root of all of that injustice, all of that hatred, and all of that bigotry, it is going to stop. You say, Pastor, why do you believe that? Why do you have hope in the midst of all of this chaos? Because we have a king, and his name is Jesus. And if you say, where is Jesus now? We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. His kingdom, as we learned last week, that as Jesus as our rescuer, as he calls us away from limitations, it is something that has already happened and has not yet happened. Jesus as king establishing his kingdom is something that is already actualized in heaven and it's just not fully actualized here, but it will be fully actualized and we will all experience not only the king, 
but his righteous kingdom. Pilate, when they brought Jesus to him, asked Jesus, so are you a king? Because then he could have put Jesus to death. He could have sentenced him to whatever he wanted to if Jesus would have declared he was, yes, king, taking authority over Caesar. And Jesus said, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, John 18. So I want you to think with me this morning about four wonderful promises and encouragements we have because Jesus is our King. Are you ready to write them down? If you are, say amen. First of all, I want you to think about this. Jesus, our King, directs the created order that He has made, and He does that for the advancement of His church. So Jesus, our King, directs the created order for the advancement of His church. What does that have to do with you and I? How do we take that truth? Jesus has, uh, as King, directs everything that has been created. What do we do with that? How does that apply to our life? Well, therefore, we should boldly minister knowing that all things work for good, for the good of His people and the glory of His name. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 19 through 23, I want you to listen to what Paul says to those Ephesian believers. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus, our, our King, directs the created order for the advancement of his church. What are you saying, Pastor? Everything that happens is for the good of his church and for the glory of his name. And I would say to you, absolutely it is. Even when we don't completely understand it, we have a hard time understanding the difference between the beginning and the end and how the middle relates to the end and how the middle relates to the beginning. Jesus is Lord. He is absolutely sovereign. That's what that word means. And we'll look at it more in depth in just a minute. But he is absolutely Adonai, right? And so that means there's no one above him. There's no one greater than Jesus. And so what does that mean? It means that we should have great confidence and minister boldly during this time, knowing that even though we don't understand all things, that all things work together for the good of his people and the glory of his name. So God, for the good of his people, orders world events for the holiness of his church and the glory of his name. How many of you have ever uh, been involved in some sort of exercise movement, you were trying to get in shape at one time in your life. I mean, you started taking that kind of bodybuilding or exercise really serious. Let me see all of my health people who've ever attempted it. Not whether you're doing it now, but if you ever attempted it. Me too, right? 
I attempted it at one time or another in my life. And there used to be a phrase back in the 80s that Joe Weider used to put out and all of his bodybuilders would say, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and uh, uh, I can't forget the guy's name, Franco. I can't remember his name, Franco something. And Lou Ferrigno and all those guys would say, no pain. Right, no pain, no gain. Y'all know that more than you know scripture. No pain, no gain, right? Here's what you need to understand. There is no shortcut to holiness, and there's no shortcut to the growth of our own souls. And sometimes growth in Christ, being all that God's intended for us to be, sometimes God allows adversity to occur, not only in our lives, but in the world, so that that adversity can press us, so that God cannot break us, but that he builds us to be the people that he wants us to be. If you understand it, say, got it. So this is an awesome thought. It should, it should make us look at the way that we watch the news in a completely different way. When we pick up uh, the newspaper, we read the news, it should make us read and look at that in a completely different way. We should watch the news as, and listen to the news with eyes of faith, understanding everything that we see and everything that we hear is being played out and God is incorporating it into his purpose and plan and into his strategy of purifying and making his church and his body and his people holy, even as Jesus is holy. Now, my brothers and sisters, that's not always pleasant, but it's always profitable. Not always pleasant, but always profitable. You will know that when you look at the circumstances of the world, our community, your own particular life, that when adversity comes to your life and you can begin to recognize God is faithful and even though I don't understand what's going on, I know that he is using this for my own good to make me holy and more like him. So Jesus our King directs the created order for the advancement of his church. Therefore today, leave this place and boldly minister knowing that all things work for the good of God's people and for the glory of his name. That's the first thing that it means when we say Jesus is our king. But here's the second thing. Jesus, our king, appoints earthly leaders and controls what they do. I want to say that again so you fully understand it. Jesus, our king, appoints earthly leaders and controls what they do. He changes times and seasons, Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Therefore, we trust God in his plan for human history as it unfolds. So I want you to understand something today. We, we have three young guys following the Lord in believers' baptism and we're commissioning deacons. And I thought, man, this could come across as a really politically charged or motivated message. And I, I do not intend for that to be that way at all. But can I say to you, uh, 
George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or either of the Adams uh, guys, I could say to you today that whether it was President Nixon or whether it was Roosevelt or whether it was Reagan or whether it was Clinton or whether it was Obama or whether it is Trump, none of those men have ever been my king. We as God's people have a king, and he's not elected. He's always resided because he's always been. And before him, there was no other. And so we look to our king Jesus, and we understand that he appoints earthly leaders and controls what they do. Therefore, we trust God. That means in trusting God, we don't have to get all bent out of shape during election season. Because we know that God's plan for human history is going to unfold and God is going to allow history to culminate in a way that best honors him. This doesn't mean that every king lives an obedient Christian life or pleases the Lord. doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat. Someone say amen. God often ordains and disposes things that do not always please him completely. But he allows those things to unfold. Jesus overrules sinful disobedient acts in evil rulers. He can make their sin uh, become nothing but futile. He controls the events according to his plan for human history. Here's the way uh, Paul said it in Romans chapter 11 verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Jesus, our king, appoints earthly leaders and controls what they do. Therefore, we trust God and his plan for human history as it unfolds. Okay, preacher, I hear that you're not coming out as a Republican or a Democrat. I, I hear that you say Jesus is king overall. But how does that apply to my everyday life? I would say to you, first of all, don't get caught up in political jargon and hype. If Jesus is truly your king, be caught up with the word of God and the words of your king. Don't get caught up in political jargon. Then I would say to you, you should go and be a part of the election process because God allows us to be a part of a government, right? A representative democracy. Not a democracy. A representative democracy. So you should go and you should actively vote. And you should vote according to God's word and your conscience and how the Lord would have us have a person or a group of people to lead us in our country and in our communities. You should actively participate about that. I'm a registered voter, and I go vote. I'm one of the first ones that vote. Polls open at 6. I try to be there a little after 6. I wear my flag all day. Let everybody know that I have voted. Why? Because you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, because you're for this one, because you're for that one. No, Jesus has given me opportunity to be a part of that, and I want to go and try to be the best part of that that I can possibly be without getting caught up in all the rig rigmarole of what sinful politics brings us. The third thing, how that applies to my heart and life is this. I do my very best to lead my family, Tracy and the boys, to understand 
that we do not vote parties and we do not vote people, but we vote policies. I do not vote for people who support the murder of innocent life in the womb. I do not do that. I've not consciously done it, nor will I ever do that. You say, you don't understand that argument and that discussion of a woman's right to her body. I completely understand it. And more than that, scientific proof and evidence with the development of DNA and ultrasound testing that is developing at a record pace and clip, it is all going to back that at conception life begins. Your pastor unashamedly votes for pro-life people, not because that phrase pro-life is political in itself. I vote for people who understand the worth and the value and the dignity of every created human being. And that, and that begins at conception. I do not vote for policies or people that try to put our country and our citizens and put people like you and me and the people of our community in harm's way. I do not vote for people who support vice activities, whether that vice activity is gambling or whether it is uh, agricultural hemp or whether it is lottery or whether it is horse racing or whether it is tobacco. I've made everybody in this room mad just now. I'm standing here behind this pulpit by myself with the Lord Jesus. And I'm thankful that I am. Our state should never relish in the fact that our economy is built upon vice. That means the, the chaining or the use of some sort of addictive either substance or activity that looks, watch this, to take away from others so that they may gain. I'm just not for that. You say, preacher, you've told 110 stories about cutting tobacco through your life. I have. I would say to you, I'm not, I don't believe that as uh, Christians that God calls us to go and protest and to uh, sit out and, and uh, to go and say, well, we're just going to ban that. We're not going to do any of that activity. What I say to you is this. Jesus, our king, appoints earthly leaders and controls what they do. Therefore, don't get caught up in all the political fray and jargon, but trust God and his plan for human history as it unfolds and try to vote with biblical values. Try to vote with biblical values. That's what it means for me. So we want to trust Jesus. Preacher, it seems like if you take that position, you're always on the losing end. Only here. Only here. Right? In eternity, I don't think we're going to be betting the ponies, watching them ride around eternity, right? Around the, the streets of heaven. We may be watching horses run, 
but we're not going to be taking somebody else's money to make some on it. Somebody say amen. Number three, Jesus our king has citizens of his kingdom in every nation. Therefore, we go and send missionary ambassadors to all peoples everywhere. We go and we send missionary ambassadors to all peoples everywhere. You say, how do you understand that's a part of Jesus' function as king? Because here's what he says in Matthew 28. We always share verses 19 and 20, but we seldom talk about verse 18. Here's verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. One of the neatest things about Jesus as king is that he has citizens and ambassadors in every nation under the sun. Isn't that a glorious, glorious thought? Now, in some nations, there may just be one. There may just be two. They may be a minority group. They may not be enough of them that can even register, right? That, that when you look for them, they're hard to find. But listen to this and listen well. Because Jesus is our king and his kingdom rules over every nation and every people group, we should excitedly, we should with great zeal send missionary ambassadors to all peoples. This means that missionaries are rightful ambassadors to King Jesus. And because Jesus is over all other kings, he's king, capital K, over all kings, small k. He is Lord Adonai, right, over capital L, over small lords, little l. Because of that, we send missionaries. And no government, including China, no government, including North Korea, no government, including Saudi Arabia or Iran, no government has the right to tell missionaries or to tell those who are sending missionaries that they should not come into their country and share the gospel. We render unto Caesars what is Caesars, but we render unto the Lord Jesus what is the Lord's, and the gospel belongs to Jesus. And so we seek to share the gospel far and wide, close and near. We, why is that? Because Jesus is establishing citizens of his kingdom everywhere. And so we want to send and go, and we want to be actively involved. Why? So that the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continues to expand, and he draws men and women from all people groups, from all different nationalities, from all places all over the world. He calls them to faith in Christ. So what direct implication does that have? When we say, therefore, we go and send missionary ambassadors to all peoples everywhere. It means this, because Jesus is our king. We can say such things as, we want secure borders, but at the same time, we welcome people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, as long as they come, and they come lawfully, and they're not lawbreakers. 
it means that we are not, um, we do not cast people out because of their skin color or because of their religious preference. It means that we recognize every beating heart as a human being that God has created and it is our job to get the gospel to them. And my brothers and sisters, the Lord is bringing the nations to us at an unprecedented rate. And so we need to be uh, very involved in sharing the gospel with them so that they would come to faith in Christ and then they can become not a citizen of America but a citizen of God's kingdom. Say, are you a patriot, Pastor? Man, I am a patriot. If there was a huge conflict right now and they would let me serve, I would serve. I am telling you today, do not get caught up and look at this world in such a temporary way that we forget we have a king and a kingdom and he has a mandate that he is carrying out and our allegiance has to be to him. Him first, right? Whatever that means for our lives, that's what it means. Pastor, that, that puts you in a bad position. You're not in one team or the other, no. But when you're on Jesus' team, and you're a citizen of his kingdom, that's all that matters. And so lastly, not only Jesus, our king, has citizens of his kingdom in every nation, therefore we should go and send missionary ambassadors to all peoples, but Jesus, our King, has, is, and will always be victorious. Therefore, we live in a manner worthy of our calling. Because Jesus has, is, and will always be victorious, that means we live in a manner worthy of our calling as God's faithful people. Listen to verse 14, Revelation 17. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. He will conquer them. There's no uncertainty there. If you have any doubt about that, you can flip over to chapter 19 and you can see he's coming. And on his robe and on his thigh, there is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he is going to open his mouth and the word of God is going to proceed out of his mouth. And at that time, all evil will cease. All wars will cease. And the kingdom of Christ will be established here on earth. There's no question, no doubt who wins in the end? He is winning now. He is winning in his sovereign decrees. You say, how do you know that? Because in the Old Testament, this word Adonai in the Hebrew means the one who is absolutely sovereign. It, it talks and it, it carries with it the idea of supreme governorship for the one who is the king of all the earth. And so in the New Testament, a translation, it translates that word Lord with a capital L. And when Paul says that the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue confess, the reason for the bowing and for the confessing is that they are to declare with their lips that Jesus is Lord. That is, he is the sovereign ruler. So after Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, the first century church, this was their profession of faith. It was not uncommon. Will you stand to your feet? It, will you do that for me right now? It was not uncommon for people to stand up everywhere and be able to say, Jesus is Lord. That was the confession of faith of the early first century church. Rome knew what was going on in the Christian movement. And so 
the Roman and all of their in all of their paganism and, and tyranny, they tried to enforce a loyalty oath to the emperor. And it was it was cult religion, emperor worship. And so the Romans demanded that all people, including Christians, were required to recite the phrase Caesar Curios, which translated means Caesar is Lord. And so the Christians would respond by showing every possible form of civil obedience. They would pay their taxes. They would honor the king. They tried to live and be model citizens. They would try to uphold the laws. But they could not, in good conscience, obey the mandate of Caesar to proclaim Caesar as Lord. And so their response to that Roman cult religion and that mandate of saying, Caesar Curios, their response to that loyalty oath simply became... Uh, the idea of them saying Jesus ho curios, meaning what? They would say Jesus is Lord. So the Romans would say to those Israelites, to those people who had been born again, some who were Gentiles, they would say to the Christians, Caesar curios, Caesar is Lord. And they had done everything they could possibly do to render unto Caesar what was Caesar's, but then they would respond by saying, Caesar, they would respond by saying, Jesus ho curios, meaning Jesus is Lord. My brothers and sisters, we have to believe that with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Loving God and loving Jesus means that we recognize his sovereignty and his lordship and we bow before him. And no matter what comes our way, we take our orders and we walk in a way, we walk in a way that is worthy of this calling. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 14. And those with him, those who are with this lamb, who is conquering this king of kings and lord of lords, those with him are called chosen and faithful. If you're here today and you're able to say, Jesus is Lord. Nothing else in your life is Lord. Not only in the realm of politics and nationality and internationality, but nothing else in your family is Lord. No other hobby is Lord. No other, no other pet sin is Lord. When you're able to say, Jesus is Lord, you're recognizing his kingship. And you're taking your rightful place as a citizen who's walking in a way that's worthy of that calling. Preacher, you preached in such a way that I feel like we should just have an uprising. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world and we don't fight according to the world's actions. We are a people of peace. And we are a people of love. We are a people that believe that God can change anyone at any time through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. He is King of Kings. If He is not your King, if He is not your Lord, I invite you today to respond to the good news that you have seen through this 
demonstration of baptism that you have heard scattered throughout this message and that you may have heard at previous times. That our sin has separated us from the Savior, separated us from our Creator, and God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, this perfect substitute. He knew no sin, but He became sin for us. In the very life that He willingly laid down, after being dead three days in the grave, He took it up again. Jesus is alive today. And the Bible says that if we believe Jesus Christ is Lord and we turn from our sin and we ask Him to forgive us of our sin and to be the Lord, this absolute sovereign of our life, that He will save us and forgive us of our sins. You say, if I'm a believer, I want to believe in that kind of way that I can stand and say that Jesus is my King. You'll only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit according to God's grace. And so today, if God is speaking to you, will you humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to come and have your way in my life. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself as not just a prophet, not just a priest. We thank you for all of those functions. But God, thank you as well for being our king. God, we were aliens. We were foreigners. You tell us that we were sojourners. That through the blood of Christ and your work of grace upon that cross, that if we put our faith and trust in you, that we could become citizens, ambassadors of your kingdom. And so God, I pray today that you would allow those who are being convicted of their sin and their need of calling upon you as their personal Savior, God, today would you save that particular person. Whoever that is, Lord, would you save them and forgive them of their sin. Lord, will you help us to realize if we've been born again that we are ambassadors. We are citizens of another country, of another kingdom, a better, better country and a better kingdom. God, help us to take the message of the king, this wonderful good news, and help us to share it and proclaim it with people everywhere, with friends and family and community members co-workers, people across our state and our region. God, I know the only thing that's going to alleviate and, and rid this country of violence and bigotry and hatred is, Lord, when you change people's hearts. And so, God, I pray that you'll work in us and do that. We'll take the gospel of our King and we will go and share it. Have your way in this place today is my prayer. I want to invite you to come and pray. Seek the Lord while he may be found. If you want to pray for someone, you feel free to do that. If you want to come and seek the Lord, you do that. If you want to come and bow a knee before our King Jesus, do that as well. Let's sing together. This my